You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is episode 15. I'm excited to announce today that tickets for the March 17 through 19, the Breath in the Clay Creative Arts Gathering, are now available at thebreathintheclay.com. If you order now, you'll receive a discounted registration as well as first choice of the Saturday afternoon workshops we host. Aside from the main sessions, and this may help some of you guys with little ones be able to come to the conference as well, but we do have a children's track for 5 to 12 year olds. We also have day passes as well as a VIP ticket, which includes a one-on-one creative consultation session with either myself or one of our creative participants. Anyway, I'm equally as excited to introduce our guest today. She's an incredibly fascinating artist who will be joining us at The Breath in the Clay. Her name is Marie Teilhard, and she is a multidisciplinary concept artist who works with photography, literary art, design, and makeup artistry. She holds a graduate certificate in science and faith apologetics, and she has a keen interest in theology, cosmology, and philosophy. I had the chance to catch up with Marie recently and discuss the power of metaphor and art, as well as shock value versus risk value. So take a listen and join us in the conversation. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. I've been really excited to have you on the podcast and just to get a chance to talk with you uh, about your art and the work that you're doing and and the things that inspire you. So thanks a lot for, for talking with me. Well, it is my pleasure. I've been just as excited, actually, having listened to a number of your podcasts and some of our conversations uh, previously have just left me wanting more. So yeah, I'm glad yeah. we have this time. That's good. And uh, even more so, I'm super excited to have you uh, participate in the Breath in the Clay uh, in March also. That's going to be an amazing time. And I'm really glad to uh, get to meet you in person and have that experience together. That's going to be a wonderful time. Yes, and it's just such an honor and a gift to be able to uh, be a part of that event. Just everything I've seen so far and heard so far has been absolutely phenomenal. So I'm already getting prepared for it. (laughs) We've got another six months, but uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Good, good. Well, I want to dive right in. Um, I always do a little bit of backstory in preparation for these podcasts. And so I've, I've looked at your website, uh, looked at some of your photography and read your bio. And um, man, you are one of the more unique guests that I've had the privilege of interviewing. And just pulling notes from your, your bio, uh, it says you're a concept designer, a literary artist. Uh, you also do photography, modeling, makeup artistry, as well as you've got like degrees in art history and science faith apologetics. And I mean, wow, that's, that's a, um, that's a well-rounded skill set. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long and winding road. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I know a lot of your work. I, I love it because I have a, a real um, inclination toward surrealist art. And, you know, um, I love the Dadaist, uh, Dolly, and, and just any art that bends your mind a little bit and causes you to think outside of a linear 
timeline. And when I look at some of the photography that you've done, I remember the first time I saw it, I was just blown away. And then to learn that you staged most, if not all of these, I guess, yourself bringing to the designs, a lot of them where you've uh, you've got a, a background or a headdress or something in the photography that you did. Um, it, it really fed into that enjoyment of surrealism uh, that I have and just the symbolism in it, you know? Yeah, well, thanks for appreciating that because, um, yes, you are indeed correct <laughs> that uh, with my concept photography, I do all of my makeup, staging, I do my own prop creation and design. And would you believe I take all of my concept photography pictures with my iPhone? Wow. <laughs> so they're self-portraits <laughs> that I do primarily in my kitchen and in my bathroom because that's where the lighting is the best. And so I have a lot of fun with that. Um, but, you know, I really um, like the fact that you connect my work to the Dadaists as well as surrealism because, you know, I we in modern art, the Dadaism, I mean, it was a short art era. I mean, about eight years from 1916 to 1924. And I just happened to have that because I was doing some research for uh, some other projects. So I don't just carry those dates around in my head. But Dadaism was a it was a relatively short time period, but it was the foundation of modern art as we know it. And, you know, Dadaism led into surrealism and the surrealist art. And, you know, when we look at the Dada is, it was very interesting because, you know, that art grew out of the World War One, and the artist sought to challenge institutions, the institutions that created war, the institutions that created elitism and art. And, you know, because of that, a lot of the art attempted to upset and shock culture. Mm -hmm. And then you get the surrealists which I like to say surrealism is Dada grown up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Where, you know, you get the surrealists who instead of wanting to challenge the institutions sought to challenge reality. Yeah. So, you know, so whereas that, you know, Dada revolted and they wanted to uh, contradict reality. Yeah. Uh, surrealism wanted to create and 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 also explore alternate realities and so my work really does reflect more of the surrealist spirit than the dada spirit although i just don't think i we could have surrealism without dada as i mentioned right so you know for me the fun thing is um like many of the surrealists is being aware and keeping myself open to seeing everyday objects and found objects and finding ways to incorporate them mm -hmm. Um, in an artistic way, and in a way that challenges with humor or challenges with, you know, thought or even, you know, different concepts I might be exploring like despair or frustration. Uh -huh. But it really is, it, it is, I think the best part for me as an artist is, is 
definitely working within that surrealist spirit of, well, how can I incorporate some of the everyday objects and experiences and, and put them forward in the way that engages dialogue mm-hmm. and, and helps us to explore um, reality and, and not the sense of, you know, explore, you know, alternate realities like multiverses and, and parallel worlds in that sense, but more so in the sense of exploring alternate ways of accessing mm. spiritual and material realities. That's really good. The The thought occurred to me, you know, um, we tend to judge art a lot of times by does this work of art make me feel good or do I walk away from this this work of art with a, a fuzzy emotion or a warm uh, feeling about it. Whereas with your work and a lot of other artists that I appreciate, that's not the litmus test for what makes good art. But a lot of times I walk away feeling challenged, like you said, or I walk away with a sensation that I'm not sure what I just encountered, you know? How does that play into what you do? Well, it's interesting because I love what you said, that art does not necessarily have to give us the warm and fuzzies, right? (laughs) (laughs) And at the same time, I don't think that art should necessarily strive to put us in a place of anguish either. Right, right. Well, so what I often hope for or how I consider my artwork successful is when I feel that I am challenging the viewer and not challenging in an antagonistic way, mm-hmm. but challenging the viewer with intrigue. Yeah. You know, are you intrigued by what I'm saying or intrigued by what I'm not saying mm-hmm. or how I'm saying it? And I think that is more compelling than say just um, something that is an affirmation. And and don't get me wrong, I believe we need artworks that affirm our faith, affirm the beauty of life, that are celebratory and are commemorative. But I think because we're so bombarded by um, just issues of despair and frustration and war politics and you know even in our own lives we have distress with the day-to-day responsibilities and activities that if if my artwork can provide a moment or a space for people to to say wow i'm i'm using a part of my mind or a part of my heart or a part Mm -hmm. of my spirit that i'm not engaging very often, Mm -hmm. then to me, that's successful. I think, you know, many people gravitate towards, let's just call it the heartwarming art. They gravitate towards it because they feel they understand it. Mm -hmm. And they understand what the artist is trying to say. It's a familiar narrative, familiar theme, subject matter. And one of the things I like to do when I'm, you know, giving lectures or, you know, speaking with others, you know, um, conceptually about art is that you don't always have to understand it. There's an element of art, one of the most fantastic elements, when art invites us into the mystery. And so when there are things and subject matter, narratives, objects, symbols that we don't understand, that's okay. You can connect with it and still not get it. Right. Absolutely. That's one thing I appreciate about your art. Um, 
is that it, it calls me to think from a different place. It calls me to engage it from a different vantage point than my own familiarity. Well, you know, I have to say it's the same for me, and it probably sounds a little unexpected for me as the artist to say that, but in, in very many cases, in, in fact, most, in 90% of my art, literary or visual, I don't consider myself the artist so much as I consider myself the first viewer. Mm. Oh, <laughs> so it's, it's like I get to be the first person to read it or the first person to see it. And and it, I feel that as an artist, my task, as it were, is to position myself in such a way to receive inspiration mm-hmm. and to create pieces of art that are transcendent, transcendent to me, from me, whereas that I don't, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of my personal experience that goes into um, design and creation. But when I get to a place where I don't see myself in it anymore, where I see it as art that's standing on its own, that's speaking to me with its own voice, Mm -hmm. that's when I feel it, it is successful and so in other words what I'm saying is that I'm not trying to quote unquote set out to create art that is deliberately trying to put people in this place of intrigue and mystery for their sake yeah that you know hopefully by god's grace i'm creating art that is engaging me and transforming me and i get to be the first person who encounters it and then i'm able to share it in such a way that's saying hey look at what i've been yeah uh, connecting with recently and what what's been on my heart and what's been speaking to me so it's transformative and more of a dialogue for me and then I can extend that fellowship to others. That's good. You mentioned something to me before, and I think this is uh, part of a larger teaching that uh, you've been uh, presenting lately, but you talked about shock value versus risk value. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Absolutely. I do uh, a number of lectures on art apologetics as well as teach um, a class currently on artist philosophy and religion. And one of the conversations that I really like to engage in with students and participants is shock value versus risk value in art. And, you know, in our current society, we can get away with so much things that we could not get away with or that were not acceptable, say, in pre previous generations in terms of, you know, subject matter, nudity, Mm -hmm. violence, you know, things like that. I remember, you know, watching some of the movies in the 60s, if they wanted to imply relationship, you Mm -hmm. just see the woman putting her shoes on, you know, there would break to a commercial and it come back, the woman's putting her shoes on or putting on an earring. And these days, obviously, there's so much (laughs) more that is not left to the imagination. (laughs) And with shock art, you know, it's very difficult to access the narrative or the con- because the content is so distracting. Right. You know, it's right. very incendiary. It's saying, well, what can I get away with or how far can I go? Mm-hmm. If you follow me. Yeah. And then and then art that seeks risk value, I would say, rather than elevating, you know, disruption or disturbance, 
actually seeks to explore themes mm-hmm. with new techniques, innovation. It, it seeks to, um, to promote innovation and contemplation mm-hmm. via experimentation. So there's this element of, of almost a gracious dialogue as opposed to, well, what can I get away with or right. how far can I go? Risk value is saying, well, how can I add a new dimension to this conversation? You know, what have we missed? Um, What voices can I illuminate? Mm -hmm. Or how can I give a voice to the voiceless? But overall, I would say the shock art, you know, it's kind of that mic drop. I need to make a statement. Right. Whereas that the risk value is actually passing the mic Mm. and saying, what are your thoughts? What does this bring to the top of your experience as opposed to, bam, I just said what I need to say. I'm out of (laughs) here. So that's always an intriguing conversation. Yeah. It would almost seem like shock value would point back to the artist Whereas risk value in, is seeking to include others in a larger dialogue. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, with the shock value, there is this, there's a bit more self-consciousness about the work mm-hmm. where, you know, it's for its own sake. And, and then with risk value, again, it's more of an invitation. It's not so self-centered. It invites. And... You know, again, I think that the people who engage with art regularly can tell the difference or maybe can articulate that difference, whereas that someone who may not necessarily have the artistic vocabulary would say, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> and just walk away. <laughs> just, yeah. Oh, I don't like it. Well, tell me why. I don't know. Something about it, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. I don't know, have you encountered um, shock value versus risk value in a your discussions with others as well, is that something that has, has bubbled up recently for you in your spheres? Well, you know, I, I think honestly, uh, it's probably more of a presence than I've been consciously aware of. And I, and I think that's why I really appreciate this conversation is because it's putting language to things that I have experienced, but I haven't had uh, the awareness of it, you know? And, and I do know even in the music that I write, not by any intent on my part, but it, it tends to be music that is outside of the norm or outside of, of what's familiar. And I, I, I think, again, uh, just back to our earlier part of the conversation, you know, anything that's unfamiliar uh, can immediately bring discomfort to people, even if that's not our aim, I think, because we just tend to feel safer with what's familiar, you know, and I, I think early on I, I had to um, just determine to do what was authentic to my creative journey and and let uh, the, the reception of it uh, take its own course, you know? Yeah, well, what I find interesting, and I've, I've, I've experienced this myself, where there are things that make me very uncomfortable that are unfamiliar to me or just at first glance or first brushstroke, I don't like it. I can flat out say, I do not like this, or this makes me uncomfortable. I don't like the way this makes me feel. But for me, one of the things that I like to do is truly challenge myself. Well, why don't I like this? What is this bringing out in me? What is this uh, challenging me to explore? And very many times, 
I find that if I sit with something long enough, I can find the grace and mm-hmm. redeeming qualities of it. Yeah. And there, ha- there has to be, I think, this courage to challenge ourselves, this courage to engage with that, which makes us uncomfortable yeah. with that, that is wholly unfamiliar mm-hmm. and to, to, to find out, well, what, why do I have such, such a reaction, such a visceral reaction or a distaste for this yeah. and to really sit with it and, 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 you know, play around with ideas and emotions and thoughts. But I do find that some of the things that I really appreciate about my own artistic journey and my spiritual journey are those things that have been born out of the unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's it, it feeds very much so into my artistic concept, Stephen, whereas that, you know, I'll encounter something like, for example, I have this image called True North mm-hmm. and in that image i'm holding a compass in one hand and i'm and i'm wearing a gas mask <laughs> which is the oddest thing and and believe it or not that image is probably the most Uh, has the strongest Christian narrative of anything that I've done. Mm. And it's with a gas mask and a compass, not a cross, you know, not a baby lamb. You know, know, and the concept behind that is that being influenced by the toxicity of of relativism where, you know, everything's subjective, your truth is not my truth. And, Mm -hmm. you know shades among the spectrum of morality that all of these different influences are suffocating right and so i'm wearing this gas mask and i'm holding a a compass to say that there is a true north and that you know you can go south or east or west all you want but there is a true north Mm -hmm. and so just the appropriation of those symbols quite unfamiliar quite ghastly to be Mm -hmm. honest very Mm -hmm. many very unfamiliar for me but the concept became one of my strongest um christian images wow that's that's so wonderful i i absolutely love that um you're it, in a sense your photography is creating visual poetry oh thank you yeah it goes back to that that root of contemplation and that that root of um the mystery and, and beholding something greater than yourself and i i think you know um even in your art, a lot of what I see are these images that are are greater than yourself. You know, it's like it's a um, a transfigured version. You know, most of your your photography are self portraits uh, in in one fashion or another. But it's it's a um, I like that transfigured version. You know, um. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so funny because. I have a new office where I'm serving and I, you know, it's really functioning as a de facto gallery because I have yeah. no more wall space in my, in my home. Yeah. And so I have a number of my, my images up and every now and then people will come in and say, who is that? Who is that? <laughs> <laughs> who do you think it is? It's yeah. me. Who else could it be? <laughs> but again, just what exactly what you said, I, I actually take that as a compliment in, in very many ways because it, it, the art isn't about me. Again, I do self-portrait photography. And let me give you just a, a, a slight bit of background. 
I do self-portrait photography, not because I'm, you know, trying to glorify myself or, you know, here's a selfie, here's a selfie. It's just that I had so many ideas and concepts that many of the photographers that I was working with to use other models, not just myself, they had a hard time understanding at least my verbal descriptions of ideas. Yeah. And so... You know, I would say, hey, why don't we do this with purple hair? Or why don't we do this mm-hmm. with, you know, sticks? And why don't we do this with candy sprinkles? And, you know, just the thought was, I don't think I can edit that. I don't get it. And so I started uh, doing these draft concepts. Well, maybe if I can just do a mock, you know, image mm-hmm. and show you what I'm talking about, you can see yeah. um, that it's not going to be so bizarre. And yeah. just in terms of time, you know how it is to get with photographers. Oh, we got to schedule things two weeks out or yeah. a month out. And and I ended up being able to put them forward myself. So when, and I'm sure you would get this too, writing poetry or doing songs that you adopt personas, like for some, you know, you, you, chart and chronicle your own experience Mm -hmm. but very often you know something happens or you're feeling something and you're like where did that feeling come from why am I feeling down today everything's great and somehow the Holy Spirit allows you to enter into an emotion or an experience and then you're able and then all of a sudden there's an aha moment where you're where I'm sure for you you're like this is a song yeah or this is a poem and for me it's like this is a picture and so to put that forward and and where it's not necessarily me mm-hmm. but it is that artistic persona well you know one other one other thing and I I uh, and I'm taking a left turn here a little bit but one thing that I discovered um Maybe it was through listening to one of your teachings online, but I, I've figured out that we have a shared appreciation for Bjork. And oh, <laughs> yay! <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, you know, and it's it's always those artists who take on personas that are larger than life that I always gravitate to. I don't know if it's just that that I'm I've got that drama thing in me somewhere or whatever, but but I love. Uh, art and I love artists that uh, do embody personas and Bjork is definitely one of those and I can I can see um, I can see her influence in your work too in a good way yeah well thank you for saying that she has and I don't think I've ever put it this way but she is so inspirational to me and she is not a Christian artist right and she is one of those artists where when I first encountered her music I was saying to myself, what is this? I don't get it. And actually, I encounter one of her songs, Heirloom. I remember the song right away. Mm-hmm. And it was something I was, oh, I just don't get this. This is crazy. Her voice is crazy. And it was the Holy Spirit, I know, that mm-hmm. said, you need to listen to this. You need to sit with this. And so I heard, encountered her music before I encountered her fully orbed artistry in terms of costumes and, and musicians yeah. and See, she had this project that she launched in 2011, Biophilia, which was an integration of science, technology, and music. And I went to see it in Iceland and came back and was so inspired and, you know, kind of looking through a number of her um, album images and a number of her videos. It was, you know, she's Icelandic and she 
her her looks are not rare, but they're slightly unusual. And and she's a very intriguing. Um, she has an intriguing presence. And I remember looking at one of her, a few of her pictures in succession, thinking like, wow, God has uniquely created her physically to do exactly what she's doing. Yeah. And it became a process for me. If I might say so, I mean, this is, you know, often we in the feminine, you know, struggle with feeling, you know, the whole movement of feeling like we're captivating and, you know, we struggle with beauty. It was this thing, you know, I've, I've had a lot of self-consciousness about, you know, certain facial features or the fact that I'm an African-American woman and, you know, we often fight with mainstream concepts of beauty or main, mainstream accepting African-American uh, women as, as beautiful. And while I've never had low self-esteem issues in that respect, there's always been this sense of not fitting in, being an outlier professionally, academically as well, even artistically being an outlier. Mm -hmm. But it got to a point that it was actually a blessing when I started engaging in my concept photography of, again, not seeing myself, seeing beyond myself and being able to say, oh, well, I have these features for a reason and they are uniquely mine and I can bring them forward. And, and that, you know, a, along with looking at Bjork's work, gave me permission mm -hmm. to explore things in a novel way in esoteric unconventional ways and mm -hmm. you know i don't say this to knock the church i just think that we have so many other things that have taken priority in in recent decades mm -hmm. but i don't necessarily feel as though i was given permission mm -hmm. to be um unconventional mm -hmm. in, in my christian experience i don't i don't feel that i i don't think i was necessarily prohibited but i do not feel that I was given permission. Yeah. And when I saw this woman and all her uniqueness, her inventiveness, she gave me permission. You know, again, I don't know her personally, but I think mm -hmm. just by accessing her works, it, it gave me permission to take a quantum leap yeah. from those conventional images, conventional um, approaches. Yeah. Say like, Lord, what is it mm -hmm. that what is it that I have around me that you've given me that you've already placed within me that you've been growing in me mm -hmm. that I just need to, to, to loosen the stakes, you know, kind of raise the tent and let it go and yeah. let it go. And, and, you know, some things are more successful than others. Like I have a great gas mask and, you know, <laughs> use, using things like, you know, um, animal bones, <laughs> my most re recent picture bone in flesh, if people yeah. want to, you know, access that but it's saying like wow just having that artistic permission and yeah. spiritual grace mm -hmm. to to move forward in a very unconventional esoteric way and and i think just now people who have been following my art and supporting my art over the last couple of years just now they're starting to get it yeah <laughs> again i good. they've been connecting with it at some level but they haven't really gotten it and i do you know people will come up for me from time to time, I run into them around town and they will say, what goes on in that head of yours? <laughs> and that is, is the highest, it's the highest compliment yeah. by God's grace and, and the ultimate calling, right? To yeah. be able to say, to submit ourselves to the work that God's doing with us, taking us to new spiritual planes mm -hmm. and realms, as well as how that manifests in our art and in our lives. 
Mm, that's so good. Wow. I love all that. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. You know, I, I, I've often thought, you know, as, as Christians, really at the heart of that, for me, it means that I've been captivated by this being that is of infinite and endless beauty. And, you know, I even think in the Gospels how when it says like in mark you know jesus appeared to them in a different form it's like they he he showed up to them in a way that was unfamiliar he he showed up in a way that that made them look sideways or when they walked with him at the end of luke on emmaus road and and he was right there but they didn't recognize him there was something unfamiliar about him something different but then when they got it like you're saying folks even uh with your art it's like the light bulb goes off and and you sort of take that that aha breath you know and when when we are in love with a being of of that magnitude uh, so many infinite diversity of forms it's like how could we limit our worship or how could we limit our art and our experience of god and of life to one little expression or to one little sliver of safety and familiarity so i i really appreciate what you're doing in your work uh because i do believe it connects us to other facets of his nature and other facets of who god is that we all need so i really really appreciate your work well i mean you literally i am practically wiping a tear from my eye (laughs) your your um comments just certainly just ministered to me right then and there because Mm. you know i don't want to make it seem like oh my god i just live my life on the mountaintop of mystery and i just live and breathe and and it comes so second nature to me i mean there are times when i'm burdened by the mundane absolutely there are times when i'm just quite frankly just you know annoyed with myself (laughs) (laughs) and my idiosyncrasies and i'm not always tapping into that mystery and to be honest with you the flip side of that is when you know i do have those mountaintop mystery moments is when you i'm sure i call them um moments of of clarity or or i think in in society we call them like flashes of genius Mm -hmm. where you know you are able to tap into the immensity of god's beauty and the mystery and it's it's like you 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 can't hold on to it even yeah. but you something in you taps into it that you're almost on the verge of madness mm-hmm. but i think those of us who call to him where he answers us and invites us to learn of those great and unsearchable things that we have those moments of remarkable clarity spiritual mm-hmm. clarity artistic clarity and then we try to capture that or live in it and then it's gone yeah you know a car goes by or you know <laughs> a text message comes in and I think one the flip side of, of the mystery is the challenge of trying to hold on to it, A. But then when you get that glimpse, I mean, that glimpse, that, that transcendent moment, mm-hmm. and then trying to capture that and to still find that our tools and our resources and are inadequate. Yeah. That we're not able to bring forward um, the beauty that we've glimpsed. I mean, we think about how John was writing in Revelation, mm-hmm. and he's seeing things. You know how he would describe as you know streets of gold and mm-hmm. a place of everlasting light, where you're the Lord is allowing us to experience and even witness with our spiritual eyes this this realm of beauty and magnitude mm-hmm. that we're trying to translate and transcribe it 
mm-hmm. and convey that conceptually or you know artistically musically in a way that just does not do it justice. And, you know, again, I'm not always on the mountaintop of mystery, but I will say there are times of, of spiritual clarity Mm -hmm. that when I, when I'm in that time, that moment, a, I can't hold on to it, but B it is, it is maddening Mm -hmm. to, to know that there's so much more for which our language is our language and our our talents are woeful mm-hmm. to translate. Right. But I do think that whatever we're able to do, you know, that we do it with all diligence and, and as much excellence, but still hoping that we're cultivating the sacred so that we are able to just go from glory to glory in our and in our expression and in our worship yeah that's good that's so good well i am really excited to have you here in march and just appreciate your time and appreciate all the work you're doing so you take care and we'll see you in march if you'd like to learn more about marie's art You can find her at makersandmystics.com. Also, you can go to thebreathintheclay.com and look on the artist roster. And we'll have her bio and picture of her as well as all of the other artists, keynote speakers, and musicians who will be at the conference March 17 through 19. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you in March.